0: All right, good morning, church. Welcome to the Sunday after Christmas. Glad you could be here with us and uh, worship with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, hope you do. Philippians chapter 4, we are finishing out that book today, finishing out the year with Philippians, and then looking forward to next Sunday as we start a brand new year, and we're going to start with a brand new series out of the, uh, the book of Psalms. And so it'll be uh, just a good year to start with, with worship, and wisdom, and so we're going to do that. So this morning, we finish out Philippians 4. We'll be in verses 10 through 23, and we're talking about joy filled contentment. So, being the Sunday after actually, the day after Christmas, let me ask you, are you content? Did you, uh, did you get everything you hoped you would get? Did you get everything you wanted? No, no, some of you did not get what you wanted. Uh, Now, I've asked permission to tell this story, and so uh, I want you to know that. I actually asked permission while my daughter was opening presents yesterday morning. And uh, so I wanna clarify, this was many, many years ago. Uh, My daughter, that particular Christmas didn't actually get all the things that she had asked for. Isn't that a shocker? That's a shocker, right? And uh, she didn't really get all the things she wanted. And so being the kind, loving, young lady that she is, she's got a, she's got a smile on her face. Uh, she went upstairs and she wrote about it in her journal. And so she wrote all about how she didn't get what she wanted. So I've, I've got her journal here, and so let me read it. I'm just kidding, I, I don't have it. So, uh, so the joke now is, are you gonna write about that gift in your journal? You know, like that's kind of the joke, but she's like, I'm a different person now. You know, I'm not in middle school, I don't have those problems. So um, are you content? You know, we we talk about contentment and uh, what a perfect Sunday to talk about contentment as we will see here in verse 11 where Paul writes, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I am to be content. Are you content? William Barclay in his commentaries says this, they meant the frame of mind which was completely independent of all outward things, and which carried the secret of happiness within itself. Contentment never comes from the possession of external things. Are you content today? As Paul would write to Timothy in First Timothy, chapter six, six through eleven, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What a remarkable thought that godliness with contentment is great gain. That it is a frame of mind that is not based on outward possessions or the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it is found solely in Christ. As David Guzik puts it in his commentary, we can only find contentment when our hearts are rooted in eternal things. And contentment is essential because it shows we are living with an inter- eternal perspective, not only trying to feather our earthly nest. What a remarkable thought. It is hard to be content. Would you agree? It's hard to be content because our consumer culture is feeding us with this thought that we are lacking something. There's always a commercial that is telling you that you are not content, that you need this. Have you noticed how our, wordage, our, our verbiage has changed? Where it's, oh, I want that, to now it's, oh, I need that. I need that. Every advertisement tries to make us feel discontent until we have that product, but that product never brings contentment. As John MacArthur says, we live in a culture that is not content, period, with little or much. And my theory is that the more people have, the more discontent they are. The attitude of people today is their needs can never be met. This comes from humanism. Since there is no God and man is ultimate, and uh, all of existence simply is not to satisfy God, but to satisfy whom? Man. That's humanism. And so, when you start with a humanistic premise that man is ultimate and that man should be fulfilled and that the whole of life is to meet the needs of man, now you have set man on an impossible course. Now he's going to spend all of his life trying to meet his needs. That would be fine with the exception of one fact, where does one find out what his needs are? Because it's obvious that that he hasn't stopped with food and clothing. Who now is defining his needs? The culture is. We live in a world where it's hard to be content because we have a world that is telling us what our needs are, and it's always something else. It's always growing. So let me ask you one more time, are you content this morning? We're going to talk about contentment, so if you have your Bibles, Philippians Chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, finishing out the chapter. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read through that. Gracious Lord, I come to you. Lord, we humbly come to you. You are good and gracious king. You are a loving father. You are our provider, and you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, as we read these verses, we would ask that you would, by the presence and the power of your spirit, open our hearts and open our minds to your truth, that it would be embedded into our lives and that it would change us from the inside out. That we would be more and more like you as we walk this path of sanctification. And Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, that they would understand that the perfect gift, the perfect provision has been given your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time in your word, in Christ's name, amen. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly Kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, who will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is God's word. First thing that we see is a joy-filled contentment isn't based on conditions, circumstances, or possessions, but rather it is based in God's provision. If we want to be content, godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to be content in the fact that we are to be content in God's provision, not in our possessions, our circumstances, or conditions. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, when we think about this Paul's sitting in a Roman confined imprisonment. He's on house arrest. He's sitting there. He's confined. He's shackled to a Roman soldier. He's awaiting his trial. He doesn't know what's going to become of that trial. Uh, Not only that, but other pastors in the area, local pastors who were jealous of Paul, have now started to spread rumors about him. And he sits there talking about how he is rejoicing he's rejoicing because the church in Philippi has sent a gift to him to supply his needs because to add insult to injury, not only is he on house arrest, but they're making him pay his own rent to be arrested. How are you like that? Well, we're gonna put you on house arrest and you have to pay your rent for that house arrest. And he says, I rejoice greatly. As you read the letter here, you would think that he's got it made. So his joy is not based on his circumstances at all, but is based on his relationship with Christ. We find out that Epaphroditus, who brought this gift from the church, was so sick that he almost died. And so he is now talking about this in his thanksgiving to this church in this letter. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Stephen Lawson says it this way. When Paul states, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, he is saying that the Lord is the source and sphere of his joy. He is rejoicing in the greatness of the Lord's all-wise providence in his life. He is rejoicing in the all-sufficient provision for him. He knows that God is causing all things to work together for the good, even this imprisonment. Does that remind you of a verse, Romans 8:28. God's working all things out for the good. That's an easy verse to, to quote, to, to put, bring in in a, a time of difficult circumstances. Let, let me just quote this verse. Well, let's look at it in, in context. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see what God is doing through Christ? He's doing all of these things. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, As it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us wow he is working out all things this is god's providence god's provision this means that he orchestrates everything to accomplish his purpose can we just like expand our minds just a minute on that thought He works out all things to accomplish his purpose. I mean, if you will think about every person who has ever lived on planet Earth from all time, think about every single person of all time, every single situation, every single circumstance, every single action, every sin, every sickness, every death, every life, every word, every deed, every decision being orchestrated by a God who doesn't let anything happen outside of his sovereign control. Wow. He's working out all things. So Paul has learned to be content. Now in your life, make this personal. Every situation, every circumstance, every action, every sin you've ever committed, every sickness you've ever had, every death of a loved one you've ever grieved, every life you've ever encountered, every word you've ever spoken, every deed you have ever done, every decision you have ever made is not outside the sovereign hand of our God. And he is working out all things for his glory. He's taking all 86,400 seconds of your day for his glory. What an amazing thought that our contentment is not found in our circumstances or our possessions, but it's found in the fact that we serve a sovereign God who is in control of all things. The first time we see the word providence or provision show up is in Genesis chapter 22. I want to share this with you. It's a familiar story for many of us of Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar. He says this, after these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, I am here. Here I am, he said. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. God did provide a ram in the thicket. And really, the the beautiful part of this is that this is foreshadowing the fact that God would provide the lamb. He would provide the ultimate sacrifice. He would provide the provision that we all need to be right with God through offering His Son Jesus Christ in the flesh, so that we could have life and everlasting. This is a beautiful picture that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what lack of provision you have or or possessions you have, there is a provision that has been made for us through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, look, I rejoice in the Lord, he says, I rejoice because of Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. No matter how this plays out for me, no matter what happens when I stand before Caesar, I I don't know what the situation is, but all I know is that God is working out all things for his glory. He's working them out. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I have learned. I think this is the most difficult part of contentment, that contentment is learned. Contentment is something we have to learn. And the only way we can learn contentment is when we need to rest and rely on Christ for our need, for our provision. Paul had to learn to be content through hard circumstances, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 5. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 27, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, unfrequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger at false brothers, and toil and hardship through many, a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. Paul was learning to be content. Contentment is learned. And for many of us this last year, we, we may have had some difficult situations. We may have felt like we were in danger no matter where we went. We might have felt like life was spinning out of control. We might have felt like we were never going to be content in the situation and the circumstances we found ourselves in. But let me tell you, Jehovah Jireh, my God will provide. He has provided. He's provided your greatest need, His Son, Jesus Christ. And and though you may go through horrible times, horrible situations, horrible circumstances, horrible sicknesses. He is good, and he is worthy to be praised. The second thing is a joy-filled contentment is based on a Christ-centered perseverance. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. For I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned a secret. Not only is contentment learned, but it's a secret. Now, if, if you have a secret, I want you to real quickly just lean over and tell the person next to you the secret that you know. And you're not gonna do that, right? Because it's a secret. I, you know, but he's saying, look, I've found a secret here. Some of you actually did it, and your other people's eyes got really big. That was awkward. He said, look, I've learned... The secret. It it was hidden, but now it's been revealed. I've figured it out. I've unlocked the riddle. It took me a while, but I've learned the secret of contentment. Paul has learned the secret of stability with Christ, even though life is a roller coaster of plenty and want, of hunger. And plenty, you know, he's, he's saying, look, it's, it's highs and lows, highs and lows, but I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned it. William Hendrickson says, those who reject Christ cannot understand how it is possible for a Christian to remain calm in adversity and humble in prosperity. Apart from having Christ, we are hopeless to be content. And then there's this verse, this verse that is so often taken out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, I'm gonna tell you the truth. There are some things you can't do, okay? I don't care if you write Philippians 4.13 on your tennis shoes. You're not gonna beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. It's just not gonna happen. There are some things that are not possible. You're not gonna fly. You're not going to just take off. Some things you can't do. And so this is not what he's saying. He's saying that I've learned the secret that in Christ, I can get through all things. I've learned the secret that through Christ, I can get through all things. That he is what holds me steady. This is my stability when there are highs and lows, when there are roller coasters in my life. As one commentator said, Paul is not saying that he can do all things through Christ, but rather that he can prevail or have the victory over any circumstance by relying on Christ and his strength. Isn't that a much more beautiful way to see that verse? Rather than name it and claim it prosperity. Paul's secret was he didn't do it. But Christ did it through him, which means it's a secret available for all believers. He has learned the secret I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's beautiful about this is that this illustrates an action that is incomplete and needs to be continually strengthened. I have learned that I continually need to be strengthened by Christ. I don't have it. There's some days where I do and there's some days where I don't, but I continually need him to show up each and every day because if he doesn't show up, I will not be content. I will not be able to make it through every circumstance. Just because we're content today doesn't mean we will be tomorrow unless we abide in his strength in all things. Finally, a joy-filled contentment is best found in giving to others for Christ's proclamation. A joy-filled contentment is best found in giving to others for Christ's proclamation. Proclamation. Let's read there verses fourteen again through the end. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even at Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This letter, as I've mentioned before, is a thank you letter. He is overjoyed. He is rejoicing. He repeats the word joy and rejoice over and over and over. And he's overjoyed and he's rejoicing in the fact that there is a church out there that has not stopped giving. There's a church out there that he planted 10 years ago. It's been 10 years since he planted this church that we see in Acts. And how they have continually given. And sometimes they were hindered in that giving. Sometimes they were, maybe they didn't know where Paul was. Maybe they didn't know how to get someone to him. Maybe they were unable because of the poverty and the things that they had gone through, but they were still a consistent help in his missionary journeys. This Philippian church consistently was giving to Paul financial support so that he could continue in his missional efforts. So let me say this, giving, to missionaries and partnering with church planners and partnering with missionaries around the world is biblical. And it is the call of the local church. The local church is to partner with, to share in, to fellowship with other pastors. The local church is to partner with other churches other missionaries, other mission organizations to further the gospel. And we do that by partnering with financial support. And also by sending some epaphrodituses along the way and hopefully you won't get sick, right? This is what the church does and sometimes we're hindered in that. Just as this church had been hindered in sending gifts for some time, we don't know why, sometimes we are hindered because of life circumstances, maybe travel restrictions. But yet, we are faithful in giving. So here at Metaview, we hope to do just that this next year. We hope to continue in supporting missionaries and pastors around the world. But we also long for God's opportunity to use us in supporting and loving and sharing with and fellowshipping with new partnerships that are spreading the gospel. We want to be a faithful biblical church, and we believe that this is what a faithful biblical church does. It supports the mission. We desire to send money, yes, but I also desire to send you to go, to share, to love on, to support, to come alongside, to do whatever God asks you to do in supporting the global spread of his word. And we, when we do that, will find contentment. A heart of contentment begins with seeing our material possessions and resources in an eternal perspective. Listen, if we continue to look at our material possessions as things for us, we will never be content because we will never have enough. But if we begin to see what God has given us as gifts, with an eternal purpose? How can I use this to further the gospel? How can I use this to share with others the good news? What has God given me that I can now share in a way that will bring me the fruit of contentment because I have now given in worship to God? These verses that I want to end with, Acts 20, 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Joy-filled contentment realizes it's more blessed to give than receive. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As we seek to be a biblical church, let's not neglect to do good, and to share what we have. And Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Can you imagine that giving, the giving will then be given back to you in greater contentment? greater joy, greater purpose, a greater life. Live not for our kingdom but for his. What a great thought thinking about the next year. My prayer is that we would be a giving people. Give and share in the work of the kingdom and the joy of the Lord will be given back to you. A joy-filled follower of Christ is a joy-filled giver in Christ. Church, let's give. Let's be a giving church. Let's use the resources and the possessions and even the situations we find ourselves in, not for our benefit, but for his glory. Can I pray for you? Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that godliness with contentment is great gain. And Father, we would ask that as we begin to look at our lives, that we would look at our lives in a a way that has eternal perspective that the possessions that we have, the situations that we're in, the relationships that we, inter- we interact with, that we would use those for your glory. We thank you that you're a sovereign God, that you're working out all things for your glory. And Father, we thank you so much for the provision of your son, Jesus Christ. There would be no contentment apart from Christ. None whatsoever. So God, if there's someone here who's not content, someone who doesn't quite yet know you, draw them to repentance. Draw them to salvation. Draw them into a right relationship with you because of the work of your son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?